0: Welcome back to the AWB COVID-19 Employer Resources webinar series presented by Kaiser Permanente. Today, AWB President Chris Johnson is joined by federal leaders and financial experts to discuss the recently passed $2 trillion CARES Act. Today's guests include U.S. Representative Derek Kilmer, Mary Burke Baker of K&L Gates, Jack Heath and Mark Perko with Washington Trust Bank, and Keith Smith and Chris Netram with the National Association of Manufacturers.
1: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us again for this week's webinar series. My name is Chris Johnson, President of the Association of Washington Business. I'd like to start off by thanking Kaiser Permanente of Washington for co-sponsoring this series, and they'll be co-sponsoring it with us for the next eight weeks. This continues to be a very fluid and evolving time for us in Washington State as we talk about COVID-19. Uh, The big activity, one of the big activities that happened last week was the passage of the historic stimulus bill from Congress, and we have some fantastic leaders that are joining us today uh, to talk about this package. Our goal is a couple things with you today. One is an update on what is in the package, what does it do, how does it work? Second, where where do you as employers go to access some of the SBA funding and other funding resources? And three, what is a fair timeline for you to expect to turn around? from banks, from SBA, from others, as we look at this this record stimulus program that's happening. As I mentioned, the the coronavirus continues to spread in communities throughout our state, for that matter, throughout our nation. And certainly, it's a very active and fluid policy environment at the moment. To help provide you with the best up-to-date and needed resource information, check back here every Monday at 10 a.m. for our webinar series, where we take the closest, deepest, most accurate dive about what's happening, and then tools and resources available for you Uh, as an employer in our community and and in our state. Today we will have a number of speakers with us. Each will give a five-minute overview of what their organization is working on specifically and then an opportunity for you to ask questions along the way. A reminder that the best way to ask questions is going to the bottom right hand corner of your screen and inserting your question there. We will plan to take three questions uh, after each speaker and then take the rest of the questions at the end of the program today. And we are really fortunate to have an amazing group of leaders who've joined us for today's conversation. Uh, We're welcoming back Congressman Derek Kilmer. Congressman Kilmer helped kick off our actual first virtual event that we ever did, our Workforces Summit, just two weeks ago. So Congressman Kilmer, welcome back to you. We also have Mary Burke Baker. She leads the government affairs practice specifically around tax policy and small business policy for K&L Gates. Uh, We next have Jack Heath, the President and COO of Washington Trust Bank. Uh, Washington Trust Bank is a headquartered bank in the state of Washington. They are a great leader and lead by example about building stronger communities across the state of Washington and are one of the experts when it comes to SBA lending and SBA resources. So we look forward to hearing from Jack and his team as well. Next, we'll have two speakers from the National Association of Manufacturers. Keith Smith who's the Senior Vice President for Public Affairs and Mobilization and Christopher Nettron, who's the Vice President of Tax and Domestic Policy. So just a reminder before we get started uh, we have again hundreds of people on this call almost a thousand people go to the right hand section of the go to meeting insert your question there please let us know who that question is for and we'll make sure that your question gets asked here today all right without any further ado uh, let's jump into it today uh, please welcome back congressman derek kilmer congressman kilmer you've been on the front lines as you helped and house of representative build this package and build this program Uh, I know it's probably you, like many of us, probably haven't had much sleep, Uh, and so I want to thank you for your leadership. Thank you for all you're doing, not just for your district, but for the entire state of Washington. Let me turn it over to you.
0: Thanks, Chris. Um, And let me start by just saying thank you to the AWB for its leadership and its partnership. Uh, When this uh, pandemic started, before I think it was even qualified as a pandemic, I was on the horn with Chris and his team talking through what the federal response should be and they've been just terrific partners and I wanna express my gratitude for that. Uh, Listen, obviously we're going through a really challenging time. Um, First, let me talk about the public health challenge. The state of Washington now has nearly 4,900 cases and has seen 195 people die from COVID-19. But beyond that, beyond the public health challenge, we have a massive uh, economic challenge as well. The disruption that's been caused by following the public health guidelines around social distancing and we're already starting to see the ramifications of that. Um, Let me give you two quick data points. In Kitsap County, we went from 259 people making initial unemployment claims just two weeks ago to over 3,600 last week. Pierce County went from uh, 1,559 to over 14,700. So those massive increases unfortunately have been seen in every county in the district i represent and all over our state and obviously that's really concerning we've heard from a lot of families uh, a lot of small businesses that are concerned about making uh, ends meet paying the bills covering rent and i think that really drove the action that you saw at of congress last week last friday congress passed and the president signed a bill called the care's act it's the coronavirus aid relief and economic security act and there are a bunch of pieces of this bill I'm gonna focus mostly on the small business pieces, but just to give you a really high level overview. Um, To fight the virus, there's about $200 billion invested in hospitals and health systems and health research. I had a call this morning with several public health professionals from around the country uh, this morning. And our degree, our ability to get the economy reopened is directly related to our ability to get a handle on the public health component of this. So that is, important. Uh, Obviously, a lot of attention has been paid to direct cash payments um, under that uh, new law. Single Americans would see $1,200, married couples would see $2,400, parents would see $500 for each child under the age of 17, and the payments would start to phase out uh, at higher incomes. Uh, There are provisions to prevent uh, folks from facing uh, foreclosure and eviction. I mentioned the. increase in unemployment, there's a, a significant $260 billion investment in unemployment insurance benefit. The law includes an additional $600 in expanded unemployment insurance so that for the average worker who gets laid off, their benefit will match their average paycheck when they were working. It includes an additional 13 weeks of federally funded benefits, to be made available immediately and expands eligibility to include part-time workers, gig economy workers, and others who might not otherwise normally qualify. But, and here's, I think, the the key point of the discussion today. Honestly, the best way to handle unemployment is to try to keep people from becoming unemployed in the first place. A lot of the attention um, has been paid to some provisions focused on enhancing liquidity for some large distressed industries, like our passenger airlines, for example. That assistance is, Uh, is targeted at ensuring that those dollars are used to continue to employ people. Now, for our small businesses, uh, there is a $377 billion infusion of fast relief for small businesses so that they can keep people employed, make rent and mortgage and utility uh, payments. Importantly, um, and I'll talk about some of the components of this, the biggest piece is a program called the Payment Protection Program which would, in essence, provide cash flow assistance through 100% federally guaranteed loans to employers who maintain their payroll during this emergency. If employers maintain their payroll, the loans would be forgiven, which would uh, help workers remain employed and help affected small businesses and hopefully our entire economy snap back quicker after this crisis. So this is really the first time you're seeing, in essence, loans that turn into grants. On top of that, uh, there is an emergency loan program for folks who need a quick infusion of funding, um, grants uh, of up to $10,000 for small businesses, for private nonprofits that have been harmed by COVID-19. The beginning of that process would be applying for an SBA economic injury disaster loan. um, And then in essence, you get uh, an an advance of uh, up to $10,000. And the advance doesn't need to be repaid under any circumstances and can be used to keep employees on the payroll to pay for sick leave to meet increased production costs due to any sort of supply chain disruptions or to pay business obligations like rent and mortgage and other debts. There is a small business debt relief program as well for businesses that are concerned about keeping up with payments if they have an existing SBA loan. Um, under this program, the SBA will cover all loan payments on those SBA loans, including principal interest and fees for up to uh, six months. Um, uh, I also want to just quickly mention, and this hasn't gotten as much attention, the the bill includes, uh, or now the law includes a lot of changes in the tax code to just sort of help firms that are um, dealing with really strong uh, economic headwinds. There's a a delay in the uh, employer uh, portion of the payroll tax. So uh, uh, employers and self-employed individuals would be able to defer payment of the employer's share of that tax um, uh, and then pay it over the following two years. There is an employer retention tax credit. Businesses that record a 50% loss in revenue could claim a 50% refundable Payroll tax credit on wages of up to $10,000 per employee, and certain small employers with 100 or fewer employees could get a 50% credit for all wages paid, regardless of whether they end up having to furlough their workers. Uh, there is uh, the bill allows employers to contribute up to $5,250 tax-free to their employees' uh, student loans. Um, there's a restoration of something that was in the tax code up until the tax bill from a few years back, and that is the net net operating loss uh, carrybacks. Um, uh, In this new law, uh, it allows businesses to offset taxes they have paid in the past five years against losses from 2018, 2019, or 2020, which can free up uh, cash. The bill fixes the drafting error Uh, from 2017 that increased the depreciation schedule uh, to 39 and a half years for retailers and restaurants and other commercial real estate to write off the cost of improving the inside of their building and returns that schedule back to to 15 years. Um, There is uh, acceleration of the corporate alternative minimum tax, and currently companies are limited to being able to deduct interest expenses capped at up to 30% of total income. Um, In the bill, uh, there's a provision that would increase that deduction to 50% of total income, which again, frees up cash today by lowering their estimated taxes. Um, There's a whole uh, bunch uh, of other resources in this bill, some uh, federal loans and directed assistance, some additional dollars uh, that that I and other uh, representatives from the state of Washington push for to get funding uh, for economic adjustment assistance through the Economic Development Administration. That EDA assistance can be used to help rebuild impacted industries like tourism or manufacturing supply chains. That's pretty flexible uh, funding. There's additional funding for our manufacturing extension partnerships like Impact Washington here in the state of Washington to help small and medium-sized manufacturers recover. Um, uh, there's direct assistance. Um, I don't know if anyone on, uh, on this uh, web, webinar is in the fishing industry, but the bill provides $300 million to help fishermen um, and uh, those impacted due to disappearing economic uh, markets. And then finally, there's some uh, additional resources targeted through the USDA Rural Development uh, for, um, for loan guarantees. So that is uh, hopefully about five minutes and a really quick overview of uh, about a 900 page piece of legislation, but hopefully that gives you a sense of some of the, uh, some of the resources that are being made available to employers here in the state of Washington.
2: Well, thank you, Congressman Kilmer, for that updated. Uh, You're right, this is unprecedented times and calls for an unprecedented response, a part of which we're we're debriefing today on. Could you spend maybe just 30 seconds, uh, I think this has been framed up, uh, this package is probably an eight to 12 week package. Could you maybe talk about what might be lying ahead in Congress for action and support and some of the things you might be thinking about and what might you wanna hear from employers in the state of Washington and in your district?
0: Yeah, um, and I would certainly invite anybody uh, on the call, and and Chris, you and your team have been terrific at um, continuing to send ideas and suggestions, and we've got an amazing network of chambers of commerce and economic development councils here in the state who've done the same. Um, I I think it is quite likely that this is um, bill number three, but not the final uh, piece of legislation. Already there's been discussion about finally seeing uh, forward motion on an infrastructure package. You know, frankly, we needed to see forward motion on infrastructure package before the coronavirus. Um, now it's even more urgent. the The notion that, um, you know, I've, I've I've generally not liked it when the media has referred to this as a stimulus package because I don't think that's what it is. I think it's a, in essence, a a stop the bleeding package. Um, we're going to need to see uh, something to help recover the American economy beyond just stopping the bleeding. And I think seeing a significant investment in infrastructure could be quite important. The other thing that we've begun to have some conversations about is building in some automatic triggers. So that, you know, from my experience working uh, when I was a consultant for McKinsey, um, when I worked in economic development for the EDB in Pierce County, what employers need from government, perhaps more than anything else, is just an environment of trust and predictability. And right now, there is no predictability. So if we were to build some automatic triggers into this so that if we're still in the tank three months from now, six months from now, employers would have a sense of, here's additional resources that could be brought to bear. You know, providing uh, the American people a $1,200 check is helpful, but if folks don't know where next months money is going to come from and how they're going to pay the bills next month and the next month beyond that i think it will be very difficult to restore demand here in our country so my sense is you may see something down the road that provides more than just sort of a one-time payment but rather uh, builds in some automatic triggers to provide some predictability down the road
2: And i want to thank you for your leadership i want to thank you for your willingness to throw up what you're doing and jump on and engage with employers across the state thank you and be safe Congressman Kilmer. Next up, we have Mary Burke uh, Baker, who's with KNL Gates, uh, a great partner to many communities across the state of Washington, to break down kind of what was in this package that was just passed. So, Mary, let me turn it over to you.
3: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I think that the Congressman laid a really good groundwork for uh, what the state of play is, what's in each of the the stimulus bills, most recently the CARES Act that was just passed by the Senate and the House and signed by the President. So he's put the skeleton out there. I'll try to put a little bit of flesh on the bones. And I'll try to break it down, uh, maybe give a little bit of context to the bill, of what the bill, the last bill particularly, was aiming at. Uh, The congressman referred to it as to stop the bleeding, and I think that that's a, a very good description. I see it in terms of different tranches. One is cash flow for individuals, employees. One is cash flow for employers and helping employers keep their businesses afloat during this time, and also keeping their workforce in place. Uh, it, it's more than just cash flow for employees, although that's very important, but it's also making sure that when things start to pick up again, that employees haven't scattered to the winds and you have to reassemble your workforce, which is you know, a very valuable asset, intangible asset. The other thing that I wanna to touch on very briefly too is don't just be thinking about what's in the bills that have been passed already. But as the Congressman mentioned, there's probably going to be at least one more stimulus bill. And I would also encourage you to think about the implementation. These bills are all being drafted very quickly. And we all know what happens when legislation is drafted very quickly. Uh, The Congressman mentioned that there was the Qualified Improvement Property technical correction included in the CARES Act. That was somewhat a product, that technical glitch of drafting very quickly, making changes and people weren't connecting all the dots as they were drafting all the changes and moving parts and we're going to see the same thing I will I would guarantee almost 100 percent guarantee that as you're combing through the legislation you're going to find definitions that are inadequate uh, scenarios business practices that aren't addressed and you're not going to know what the answer is it's not going to be in the, in the actual legislation itself that's where all of the implementation comes in The Department of Treasury has a tremendous amount of power over the administration and implementation of this bill, Uh, but all the other agencies do as well. Department of Labor, SBA, a lot of different agencies across the executive branch. So as you are finding these things, let us know so that we can discuss, do we weigh in? Uh, Is this something that a lot of people are focusing on, or is this something that's unique to your particular business that needs to be taken care of? But don't underestimate the power of that implementation process and the power of weighing in on that to make sure that your fact pattern and your concerns are addressed. It's all going to happen. The implementation is primarily going to happen very quickly because they want to get money out. They want to get the stabilization out in place as quickly as possible. So now is the time to be thinking about that and acting on it. Um and don't just assume someone else is going to handle it because maybe they're not. And you don't you don't want to leave money on the table that you should be able to access because your particular fact pattern wasn't addressed in the legislation. I'll kind of break down um, a little bit differently from how the congressman did of what's in the bill um, on the cash flow issues, excuse me, for employees. Of course, we have the rebates that the congressman described. Secretary Mnuchin has said that he wants to get that money out within as soon as three weeks. Um, for folks who have, who, who got direct deposit of their tax refunds, I think that's how Treasury is going to administer the rebates. Those who did not have, where Treasury doesn't have this information, it's going to be, probably take a little longer to get the money out. I was on the Hill during 2008, 2009, during the economic crisis, worked on the rebates then. And I know it it seems easy in concept, but it's much trickier in implementation. We also have the sick sick and family leave uh, that was in the second, uh, I call it stimulus bill, the HR uh, uh, 6201. So employees will be receiving those sick and family leave payments. Of course, there's a tax credit a dollar for dollar tax credit up to certain caps on the sick and family leave payments that are made. For individuals, there's also relief uh, with with pension plans. The 10% early withdrawal penalty is is waived, and there's also no required minimum distribution. So that's another source of cash flow uh, for employees. And uh, then of course, there's really expanded unemployment insurance. The congressman mentioned about the $600 additional payment. And the states have been given a lot of leeway to waive certain unemployment requirements in order to fit this particular unique situation into the unemployment regime. On the employer side, there's a number of cash flow options. Uh, there is, the, as I mentioned, the sick and family leave credit to help offset the sick and family leave that's mandated for employers that are less than 500 employees in the in HR 6201. There is the employer payroll deferral, and I stress that is a deferral and not a holiday. Uh, So you can defer paying employment taxes through the end of 2020, and then repay them half in 2021, half in 2022. There's the employer retention credit, and this applies to employers of all sizes. The rules are a little bit different if you're a large employer versus a small employer but it is a credit, employee retention credit up to 5,000 per employee. Um, Then the Congressman mentioned that there are various SBA loan programs that will be expanded and relaxed, and there's a lot of money being put toward these SBA loans to help businesses keep afloat. Uh, As he mentioned, one of these programs, the Payroll Protection Act, is intended to keep people on payroll so that to the extent the employer gets those loans, those loans are forgiven uh, for up to two months. If you're paying payroll, if you're paying mortgage, if you're paying fixed operating expenses, the type of expenses that you need to pay to keep afloat. And the the loans that are forgiven are not cancellation of indebtedness income, so they're not taxable to the employer if uh, if those loans are forgiven. Those loans apply to nonprofits, very importantly, and also to tribes. It is a broad scope of employers that they apply to. Then very briefly, I'm just going to mention the Stabilization Fund, which is the big fund of $500 billion. We've heard primarily about this going to the aircraft carriers. 50 billion of that is earmarked for aircraft carriers. 4 billion is earmarked for uh, cargo aircraft carriers, 17 billion for national security businesses. And then there's a big pot of money, $454 billion that is intended for larger businesses. Uh, SBA loans are primarily for the businesses, 500 or fewer employees. This is geared towards the big employers. We don't really know quite all what the criteria are going to be. I would caution you, there is some misinformation out there that Uh, We've we've probably heard about that there's a limitation on stock buybacks and uh, on dividends being paid and on payroll, uh, larger salaries for recipients of uh, loans from the stabilization fund. That only applies to those categories I just mentioned, the aircraft carriers and to the national security firms. The $454 billion, those conditions are not imposed statutorily on those those loans are gonna come out of that money. However, the Secretary of the Treasury has the authority to impose standards and uh, restrictions, so we don't know what those restrictions are going to be. The last thing that I will say uh, is that there's uh, the Treasury, uh, Secretary of the Treasury is authorized to provide out of that stabilization fund for employers in the 500 employee, the 10,000 employee range to include them within the purview of those loans. However, he's not mandated to do so, he's authorized to do so. So that could be something very important to weigh in on to encourage, to make sure that out of that 454 billion, that employers in that tranche, in that size are included. Um, I'm a tax person, but I think that the the Congressman did a pretty good job of giving an overview of the primary tax provisions. the AMT NOL, so I'm not going to spend time going over that in the interest of leaving time for other speakers. Thanks.
2: Well, thank you, Mary. Uh, That was a great update. A number of questions come in this regard. Uh, Is there a handout or a one-pager on your website that would break this down? bill. I think it's probably hard to break a 900-page bill down into a one-pager, but do you have some top-line summary information that you might point people to that are on this webinar?
3: We have a great website. We have a COVID-19 website at the firm where we have accumulated information about every aspect of all of, these, all of this legislation, including links to the different agencies. So we'll be happy to send along that link, and you can forward that to your members, Chris.
2: Great. I appreciate it, Mary. You are a great resource for so many of our members and work on communities like Spokane and Tri-Cities and Tacoma and others, so thank you for all your work. I'm going to ask if you can stick around with us for a little bit. Uh, I think it's a perfect setup for our, our next speaker, which is uh, Jack Key with Washington Trust Bank. He's the president and COO. Washington Trust Bank is a headquartered bank in the state of Washington with presence throughout the Northwest, uh, deeply involved in the communities that, that they serve. And so, Jack, let me turn it over to you and Welcome to today's webinar.
4: Uh, Thank you. I would just say, um, uh, as we race through, uh, to kind of get our arms around this bill, we as well will have a posting out later today on our website, outlining the different components of the project and and, uh, the stimulus that's available. My advice to you as business owners today is be patient. The stimulus was approved on Friday, but we will not have the details from the SBA around the application process and the criteria. We're working hard with Nagel and with our um, SBA counterparts to really simplify this process so that we will not require the amount of detail that's required for a normal SBA loan to really accelerate access to these programs. Um, there is huge demand, as you can imagine, and there is. It, I thought that the Congressman did a nice job in outlining the different components that are available. So what I would encourage businesses to do today is as this information comes forward on the websites to take a look at it, look at those programs that you will qualify for and then wait patiently for the detail on what will be required to um, qualify for those programs and for us to submit those and process those requests. That is expected to be ready this Friday. It could take up to two weeks to have that data from the SBA and then we'll be uh, rolling forward quickly to process these payments programs.
2: Thanks, Jack, for that. Could you maybe set up your staff? You've got some experts that are in the trenches every day working with small businesses about access to SBA loans, whether they be 7A or or traditional loans. Could you maybe set up your staff for a little bit? And we have a number of questions that maybe uh, I'll set up for them that they could ask, such as, you know, what is a reasonable turnaround time after they start to work with a local bank about getting approval or not from SBA? That's one question. The second question is also, uh, in the CARES Act, there's a provision allowing for EIDL to become a grant if employers keep employees on the payroll. Could your team talk a little bit about that as well? And then, uh, is there a really good one-stop website about the tools from SBA that small businesses could go to? And then, as I say that, for people that are on the webinar, again, please uh, ask your questions in the right-hand bottom of your screen and ask who you'd like to ask that question to. Jack, let me turn it back over to you.
4: Great. Uh, uh, Chris, we'll post a uh, later today, we'll forward you the link that gives an outline of these two different programs that we're providing to our customers so they can get more detail on those. And I'll ask Mark Perko, who's with me today, to kind of walk through the different components of those programs and answer those specific
1: questions. So let's turn it over to Mark.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jack. And I guess. Uh, After
5: listening to both um, Mary and the Congressman, I'm not going to get too much into the details of the act itself. I'll try and answer a couple of the questions that Chris put out there. But what I'm going to focus more on is kind of how Washington Trust Bank is addressing the current situation and what we're trying to do for our customers, as well as our employees to work through this process. So what we've what we've done to start with is look at it from a standpoint is what is available to customers today, and what we can tell customers today is there is the EIDL program um, that is available to apply directly uh, through a website and is funded and processes run through by the treasury. And then there's also right now an express loan program that can be funded today. Um, And and obviously in addition to that, there's the existing SBA programs that are out there for our customers um, to access. With the timeframes that we're in with potential uh, release of some information this coming Friday, um, hopefully by then we'll have more information But what we're communicating to our customers obviously is we're here to help. We're here to help them through this process, but to also walk them through the um, existing programs that are out there as as well as the PPP program, um, which hopefully will be a huge benefit to people. Uh, We've had numerous phone calls from obviously our existing customers, but customers who haven't even borrowed in a long time Who want to access these things? So our communication has focused around Getting information to our frontline people and also um, As Jack noted, we'll have some information up on our website by this afternoon for our for our customers and anybody who wants to look at what is there Um, as far as what programs are available to them today and then what programs hopefully will be available to them later this week, uh, next week. But as you know, to follow up is what Jack said, it's hard to be patient right now and we're trying to work our way through the CARES Act and, but the devil is in the details at the end of the day. And so we're trying to to incorporate all that into our our communication to our staff as well as to our customer base. So that's kind of what we are doing at this point in time. Um, To answer maybe a couple of these questions on here as far as reasonable turnaround time, we have um, shifted around um, some our staff within the organization, because we anticipate a extremely high volume of these loans coming through, particularly the PPP program loans, um, and so we are shifting staff around where we have in each area um, an SBA group um, that can address these. So we are quick to do to provide turnarounds to people. But to say that I have an idea or we have an idea of what our turnaround time at this point in time is going to be difficult, uh, until the guidelines are provided to us um, at that time, we'll have a better idea of what's going on. Uh, it's going to be a throughput issue it's to to get these loans through. But again, we're addressing that before we get to that point in time where everything is there we are encouraging um are we going to encourage customers to start the process of you know here are some forms that have been used in the past now they may not be the forms that are going to be used for this um, program but the more information we can gather up front the quicker that we can hopefully get our customers uh the money that they uh that they need so that's kind of what we're doing as far as but it to provide you a reasonable turnaround time i think we're too premature in the in the process to say what that is going to be again it depends on when we get the uh the final outline of the of the proposal so um my understanding to ask, answer the next question as far as my understanding for the provisions in the cares act about conversion to the PPP program, that is my understanding as well. Um, that there will be an ability to convert an EIDL loan. Again, there is rather than going into the details as the congressman did as well, um, uh, as well as as Mary did, um, we we understand. That that is going to be a provision, or that is a provision where these individuals can convert the the loans uh, to a PPP. But again, the and within that document right now is the is the dollar amounts or the the itemized lines that can be used to be forgiven in the future. So that's that's kind of my answer on that. And then as far as an existing website that's out there, um, I don't. I can't say I have one right off the top of my head, <clears throat> excuse me, to provide to people. But again, I think um, as Mary indicated, k Gates has something. We will have something on our website today as far as questions and answers and and any um, any links to areas that might help small businesses through this to get as much information. We're all drinking out of a fire hose right now and we're trying to condense that information so people don't seem, they're not as overwhelmed as they appear to be at this point in time. So that's kind of it from, uh, if there's any other questions or anything,
2: um, I'm good to go. Thank you, Mark and Jack. We have a couple of questions. Uh, first one is, is it better for a small business to apply through their bank or through the SBA site? And will there be an issue if they apply through both?
6: It
5: is, it is my understanding at this point in time for the PPP program. Again, I, I'm using what I understand from the act right now that that program will be administered through the banks, um, not through the website. Again, I'm going to say anything is up for change and, and negotiation. Um, as far as. The EIDL program, they can apply directly through the website and receive funds, and that is funded directly from the Treasury.
2: There's also a question here of, and Jack, I don't know if this is for you or for Mark. Uh, The question is, do we see a similar type of response from Congress and SBA to what they passed in 9-11? And are there more tools and resource support on its way to help small businesses out?
4: I think there are more programs that are rolling out. The Congressman touched on that. But I think it's rolling out so quickly, it's hard to know what that next phase will be. Right now, all the resources really going towards trying to quantify these programs, simplify the application process, and roll forward people asked about to apply through the bank or apply through the SBA for those SBA direct uh, requests, get those in immediately. I will tell you that we have customers who applied to that program a week ago and are in the queue, but have not heard back because demand is so high. The other thing that we've told customers is to apply after 7 PM to 7 AM because the, during the day, those websites have have gotten clogged and people have had trouble getting through those, those uh, websites. So again, uh, uh, I can't emphasize enough. We will get that information out as quickly as possible, but it's evolving day to day right now.
2: are there the next question is, are there other tools besides SBA support that small businesses could look to or be thinking about as they go through this time?
4: Absolutely. Number one, uh, with your lenders today, there is support available for uh, uh, principal and interest deferrals. And to be clear, those are that's not debt forgiveness, but it will defer that till the end of the loan. So for, uh, for contact your relationship officer at your bank, I think you'll find them to be very proactive and very timely. Um, the FDIC has come out with some guidance that in the event of business is not troubled prior to the COVA event, and that the, the challenges that they're facing are directly related to the COVA shutdown that is occurring, then there can be waivers that can be done and that does not adversely impact uh, the grading of that credit internally. So banks are incented to help with you with that And we encourage you to reach out to your lenders and ask for that assistance.
2: Jack and Mark, as we we wrap up this section, and we have a lot more questions we could get to, what would be your parting advice to small, this question comes through in a number of different ways, what would be your parting advice to small businesses who are really struggling at this time? Where should they go and what would be some advice you would give to them?
4: In the very near term, number one, reach out to your lender and look for uh, those principal and interest deferrals in the near term because uh, they're uh, doing those both on real estate and and will help you through that. Number two, uh, recognize that if you have people in the payment stream that are being adversely affected to proactively communicate with those folks and, and work through because it's not only the business, it's the landlord all the way through the process and you'll find people are working hard to provide concessions and help you through this challenging time. And then finally, to recognize it will take time. This is a multi-week process. The the resources is quickly being identified and rolled out. But to be patient, uh, track our website, and there will be much information coming out. Uh, Get educated and reach out to your loan officers. We're available to help.
2: Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today. We appreciate all of this. Uh, The the links that Jack referred to will be sending out to all the participants that are on today's call. So, again, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Mark. Next up is uh, an important partner to us here at the Association of Washington Business, and that's the National Association of Manufacturing. And with us today is Keith Smith, the Senior Vice President for Public Affairs. Keith, let me turn it over to you.
7: Um, Pleased to be uh, the federal partner for AWB in Washington DC as we've been managing through the, uh, the pandemic crisis. And I'm pleased that Chris Netra, my colleague from the NAM is able to join us today. Overall, looking at each one of the three stimulus bills that have come up so far and the action that's required out of regulators from Washington DC, we've been guided by a set of priorities that we've laid out in our policy action plan. And that really has been to focus on recognizing manufacturer's critical role during uh, in response to the pandemic, protecting manufacturers and other businesses from insolvency, ensuring economic security for, for workers, reducing the regulatory burdens, Uh, setting the stage for economic growth, keeping our workforce safe and healthy, protecting our communities and providing for economic stability and resilient growth in the United States. Many of the elements have been included there, including some steps that will encourage long-term job growth. And we were pleased to see a lot of those priorities manifest in this, uh, this phase three stimulus bill. particularly looking at increasing the maximum amount of tax deductions for interest on business loans and incentivizing employers to retain their workforce through loan forgiveness. So looking at the really critical legislative components, I hope Chris can provide just a high level of key wins for, for manufacturers in particular, but hopefully we can utilize this time to be able to answer some of the questions that I know that have come up, come up since we've started. So Chris,
6: Great. Thanks, Keith. And yes, you know, I did want to piggyback a little bit and talk a little bit more about the NAM's policy action plan. So this actually came out in two tranches over the course of the last month, which feels like the last year, because we've all been going uh, so hard trying to deal with this, this crisis, which is of a scope that is still to be defined. Um, So our our first tranche of of recommendations came out, really focused around the health and safety of manufacturing workers and making sure the workplace was safe, uh, as well as applying some of the lessons we've learned from our members with operations in China as a result of China's response to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Those really manifested themselves in the phase to bill the uh, the Families First Act, uh, but you know our next set of guidance came out um, focused on the liquidity crisis, which is you know we're starting to see the leading edge of that right now. Um, there are there was about 50 provisions in the policy action plan. I, I think the prior speaker did a great job of going through the details of the of the CARES Act, so I won't rehash that there. But I will tell you some some of the key wins for manufacturers there are really the programs to inject more liquidity into the system that that ppp slash sba program to help small manufacturers really receive grants for for the payroll that, that that they have in place you couple that with the employee retention tax credit which is something that that we called for it really helps preserve that employer employee relationship through the period of this crisis. And it's federal support that's desperately needed there. As as we know, there's a workforce crisis in manufacturing. The last thing we want to do is let people go and then try to have to refill those spots on the back end. Um, and, and the tax incentives, hugely helpful. Again, I know the prior speakers went through them in great detail. Uh, Almost all of the items in the CARES bill, the tax items, were things that we had called for, so we're really pleased to see them in there. But we now turn to implementation, and as everyone has indicated, uh, that that is the challenge right now: getting guidance out the door as quickly as possible so that we can actually start utilizing these things. Um, And looking ahead, uh, Phase Four will be the next bill. we don't yet know what a Phase 4 bill is going to look like because we don't yet know what this crisis looks like in a month to two months. We don't know what the challenges are that we're going to have to deal with. This is has the makings of a demand crisis unlike anything we've ever seen. We have the world turning inward, people staying in their homes. That puts great pressure on people who make things for people to use. If, you, if you're sitting at home, uh, that's that that makes it a, a, a really challenging business environment. Um, so, you know, we don't yet know what that's going to look like, but we will be at the table and we will be in the fight and we will make sure that manufacturers' priorities are are, are reflected there. So that that's what I've got. Uh, Keith, is there more you wanted to do there or should we do some questions?
7: No, I would say before we go to questions, the important thing, and we appreciate um, the strong support from AWB is... Manufacturers are really leading the charge in the national response by um, providing the important vital products in through their states and through the, uh, the FEMA structure to be able to be deployed where they're needed most. So I appreciate all of the strong support from I know so many of the folks that are on today's webinar to be able to do just that. Uh, to be able to help send that strong message of how important that that work is. We encourage everybody to text RESPOND to 52886 to send a message to your elected officials to ensure that they're giving manufacturers all the support we need to be able to continue to keep up this national nationwide historic mobilization effort. So that's RESPOND to 52886. So with that, Chris, I, I, I hope that we can uh, take a few questions.
2: Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I'm going to pick up, Keith, where you left off, and the first question is, is there a national registry where manufacturers can go and, and register for the types of medical products that they're willing to produce during this moment? There's been a call to action for face masks, ventilators, gowns, and others. The question is, is there a national registry where or a manufacturer could go and say, yes, I'm willing to do this?
7: Yes. Yeah, so we've been working closely with FEMA. <laughs> at the national level, we have engaged this similar to the stimulus packages that have come through in phases. The first phase was to identify what products are currently available within manufacturing facilities that can be put immediately into the stream or donated where they're needed most. The second phase was identifying where some of the capabilities exist from current producers to be able to ramp up and put that into that stream. And then third is something that we're going to be launching ideally by the end of the day today. And that is something that looks at what are some of the products and the technical specs necessary that can be produced by manufacturers by repurposing or retooling their lines. And that is being fed directly into the White House Corona Task Force FEMA structure to be able to be coordinated on a national scale. So, Chris, to that point of where can you get that, we're going to be providing that to AWB later on today. We hope that um, manufacturers and suppliers throughout Washington State will be able to help join this national effort. Right now, we are going directly to those companies, um, but encourage you to share uh, that resource and tool when it becomes available to anyone that you feel may have the, uh, the current capacity or future capacity. That said, we know that there needs to be a level of certainty of what exactly needs to be produced and how, and that's what we're streamlining right now through FEMA to make that as easy to enable those types of companies to be able to step up that want to.
2: There's another question around the Defense Production Act, and one of you, the question is, could one of you speak to what that means and how that might impact manufacturers in Washington State?
7: Yeah, I would uh, uh, start with looking at the dynamics of the Defense Production Act. The clarity of how it's been administered from the administration standpoint hasn't been too crystal clear other than when it was invoked with General Motors last week. But overall, we've seen the ability for manufacturers to step up to really um, I question the need for its uh, inaction in certain respects. Now, that said, we've heard from many manufacturers that see the ability to utilize the Defense Production Act as a benefit to uh, enable supply chain strains to be figured out once those um, needs get a little more uh, stark. But as of right now, what we're seeing is everything that is being sought is being provided for, um, with a few uh, exceptions that we're working through with the FEMA process. But I think looking more broadly on the Defense Production Act. Uh, Chris Netra might be interested if you've got any anything to add, but looking at this from a a broad standpoint, we haven't been looking at the Defense Production Act as necessarily something that would be um, necessary to be invoked right away, but also willing to be able to take that on should uh, should the collaboration with the federal government uh, be able to outline where it would really benefit putting that production into a more more of a supercharged mode to be able to put to meet the specific demands that exist.
6: Yeah, I mean, honestly, if anything, the Defense Production Act um, really underscores and and buttresses the intense uh, activity in the industry to, to just be involved and be a partner and do the right thing here. I and mean, we're inundated with, with, um, with requests from manufacturers around the country to be able to provide the goods that are needed to combat this crisis. Um, and if the, if the DPA invo- invoking that helps spur that, then fantastic. That's a good place to be. I mean, manufacturers by and large want to do the right thing, and that's what we're seeing.
2: Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Keith, for joining us. Uh, we have a number of questions that are banking-related, and I'm going to ask, is, is Jack Keith still with us? hey hey jack a question for you is a a question that comes to us Uh, the first one is it seems like there's a difference between people who already have existing relationships with sba lenders and those who have never used sba financing can one of can can you or mark speak to the two different paths that might be available to employers
4: uh well I, i think if you have a relationship with a bank that bank will be able to guide you through this process and if they are not an sba approved lender um uh then they'll uh have a relationship to refer you to another lender that does have those relationships so um if you haven't participated in the sba programs in the past uh i would say probably 90 percent of the activity or more will be in that category so i wouldn't be concerned about that Um, i would look at the information as it gets posted around the data needed to do the packages and the way to accelerate the process for access to this these programs will be to have the information compiled as outlined in those uh, schedules as we give them to you and that will speed that process significantly for borrowers.
2: Thank you. Here's another one for for you or even if Mary is still with us as well. Do you anticipate small businesses receiving grants to pay rental payments uh, or lease payments for their facilities and or equipment?
4: As I understand that the the rental payments for the, biz, the the real estate are built into this bill, real estate, I have not seen that for the lease payments for equipment at this point in time. So we'll know more in the coming days.
2: Great. Uh, the next question is, are, what are the main differences between putting your employees on standby unemployment versus waiting for an SBA loan? And does putting uh, employees on standby uh, placed into jeopardy their ability to receive an SBA loan?
4: I have to apologize. I don't have the answer to that um, for you, but we will research that and get back to you on that. But I don't believe that that does jeopardize. the In the way that this legislation has been drafted, as I understand it to date, they are not laying in the normal exemptions to eliminate people from the program. They're trying to make these as inclusive as possible.
2: The next question, Jack, I'll stay with you on, on lending again. Have the have the uh, financial requirements or, or ability to receive credit changed with this new rule? I, are we are we loosening up the ability to receive credit uh, going forward?
4: Uh, absolutely. I mean, this this program is complete a complete change in the kind of uh, uh, lending that's come from the SBA. So, as I understand it, they're going to simplify access. They're going to do deferment of payments and they'll do emergency loans that are direct as well. So it's a great stimulus package as we get it out. The challenge we're gonna face is the time to get the information out, quantify it, and then access it for our clients. And there's a huge sense of urgency, both at the bank and the government level to get the stimulus going.
2: Great. Uh, Keith, if you're still with us with the National Association of Manufacturers, there's a question here of, are there some really neat stories how manufacturers have responded to fill the crisis? Uh, relative to PP&E and other medical equipment.
7: Yeah, and I think a lot of it really gets to some of the p- misperceptions that exist of what is and what is not an essential worker or an essential um, uh, part of uh, the manufacturing economy. As we see it, all manufacturers are playing an essential role right now. And I think some of the ways that may on their face be a bit surprising to most, I, I point to a great example of a manufacturer in Baltimore, Maryland, who makes wire baskets. Many people may not think of a wire basket being a life, you know, life-saving essential good, but that manufacturer was able to kick it into overdrive when he was contacted by a, a medical device manufacturer who needed his medical his uh, wire baskets to fit into test tube uh, trays that uh, are used in the COVID-19 testing kits. They were able to work uh, um, uh, three shifts around the clock over a period of three days, including a weekend to be able to deliver that. And that's just one of the many stories that we've been helping policymakers understand at both the federal and state level with AWB's strong partnership, to be able to understand the the dynamics uh, of the modern manufacturing supply chain to make sure that well-intended policymakers, while looking to do containment measures to keep their communities safe, don't create inadvertent and unintended barriers to be able to put those vital products into the hands of the folks that desperately need them around the country, whether they're on the West Coast, where we saw the initial uh, hot uh, hot break uh, of the the virus, or on the East Coast. Um, but Chris, you know, it's I would encourage all folks participating here to share with AWB and the NAM examples of how they're stepping up. And that, that text uh, mechanism, again, respond to 52886, can help both AWB and the NAN be able to put those stories into focus to help the public understand just what exactly is underway.
2: Thank you, Keith. Uh, what Jack, if you're with us, one more question. Jack, it says, if we apply for and receive a loan for payroll, Do we have to hire our staff back full-time or part-time or are able to do shared work? I don't know if you can comment on that or not.
4: I, I can't tell you that for sure, but I can tell you that in talking to the legislators, the intent is to make sure that we restore our workforce. So I don't know that it needs to be the exact same people at the same hours, but they'll be looking carefully at do we restore our workforce to the level it was prior to the crisis. What I would encourage you to do, the important part of this will be, is to really document uh, the proceeds as you disperse them and then be able to report back to them uh, on, to uh, qualify for the forgiveness of those loans.
2: Jack, apologies for the length of this question. It says, given that we need to pay employees now, will the PPP loan forgiveness apply to employee wages, salaries paid prior to applying and receiving the loan?
4: I don't know the answer to that. Is Again, I apologize, Chris. As, as this is evolving. We're trying to get caught up as quickly as possible. It's a two and a half month period of time, but when that starts and is effective, I cannot answer that question for you today.
2: Great. Uh, Jack, hold on a minute. Mary Baker, you're with us, and I understand maybe you can add some context to the last question.
3: Sure. Just the the last couple of questions. I believe that we can confirm this. I believe that uh, it applies to wages that are paid after February 15, but we can go ahead and confirm that. It's a period, I think, from February 15 to June 30. Um, The other thing that I wanted to comment on was on the, the PPP, on the forgiveness of indebtedness to the extent that you are cutting payroll or cutting the number of your employees, then that diminishes or reduces the amount of uh, forgiveness of the debt that you can receive from the PPC loan.
2: Great. I think that's, that's a wrap, folks. We've, we've run out of time at all. Let me start by saying we've had a great lineup of speakers today. Uh, and I just, again, want to thank Congressman Kilmer for joining us, Mary from Washington, D.C. Jack and his team in Eastern Washington, and our partners uh, Keith and Chris from the National Association of Manufacturers. It's been a fantastic discussion today. There's a whole bunch of questions we did not get a chance to get to around lending. We'll make sure that we get those to our speakers and have a chance to get as many of those answered as possible for you. Again, thank you to Kaiser Permanente for helping us put this all together today. There is a recorded link of today's program that will be emailed out to all participants that were on today's program. A reminder that we're back here again next Monday at 10 a.m. to answer your question. And again, the the unprecedented demand has been uh, great to see. Nearly 1,000 people joining us for today's call again. Be safe this week and be well. Thank you and we're adjourned.
0: Thanks for listening. Our next webinar in the AWB COVID-19 Employer Resources series is coming up April 6th. Go to awb.org for more information.